Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Thursday, April 15th. Usually, it's tax day, but not today. Um, We are gathered together this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome Him. His light shines on us today as we change things up a little bit. Tomorrow we make a transition where we'll be studying First Kings. And I'm excited because we have Dr. Walter Meyer from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana with us. Also the author of Con- the Concordia Commentary on First Kings. It's going to be wonderful and be exciting. I've talked to so many people who are excited to start this. I'm excited to start this study And now, from now on, as a general rule, one of our goals is that when we transition between books, our plan is to stop, pray, and study a few psalms at a time. Yesterday, we started out at beginning with Psalm 1 with Dr. Timothy Seleska from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And today, we go to the very end, go to Psalm 150. One thing I found out is that I typically, whenever I do a book, I read a book, I'll read the beginning, and then there's that chance I don't quite get to the end. So I wanted to go to the end today so that we are able to look at um, the breadth of Holy Scripture, especially the Psalms. And I tell you what, Psalm 1 and Psalm 50, completely different, but in wonderful ways. Stick with us as today we praise the Lord. Once again, praise the Lord. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thank you also to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, sir. It's a joy to be with you. Alleluia. And just to make sure, Christ is risen. Risen indeed. Hallelujah, Pastor. Hallelujah. Um, uh, are you still vacancy pastor at Emmanuel and New, New Wells? Yes, sir. God willing, I'll continue <laughs> doing that for a while. Uh, the congregation is beginning a, a study as to how they'll pursue the Lord's providing them a full time shepherd. So that's you know going to be at least a couple more months before anything changes. God willing, which is always God's plan, not mine, that matters. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Pastor Tice, anything else going on for you or your family or for the saints at New Wells? Well, we we have uh, the ongoing opportunity to, to celebrate the gift of, of God's Lord's Supper. We do that twice a month at New Wells. But the, uh, the congregation is going through a, a transition time. Their uh, previous pastor uh, had served them for uh, about four and a half, five years, and the Lord called him from among us uh, during December of last year. So it's it's a, hmm. a time for them that's that's certainly unusual in that it was never planned. But on the other hand, most of what's happened in the past year has not been planned. So this is not right. a big change for most of us. The other thing, uh, the other thing they're doing there is they're getting ready to com- commemorate and, and memorialize their late pastor, and so they're planning to have a. Uh, an event where they'll, uh, God willing, everything going to planned, uh, plant a tree in his honor and memory. So that's uh, one of the, the things that as we walk through this world, we remember that we're not permanent residents here. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we can occasionally stop and say, let's memorialize those who have been here, but in the greatest 
analysis. Christ coming again at the end of the age will be the big memorial, and, and that'll be the one that counts the most. You know, and I like how you're saying that because yesterday when we had Dr. Timothy Seleska on, one of his um, emphases of, of, of the Psalms is that the Psalms give us words to pray, and they're God's word that we are able to say back uh, mm-hmm. for the times that we have to wait, especially that in grief. And I, I, I like how you said that because it's like, okay, we're here now, um, but we know there's something better still yet to come. And the Psalms help us fill those spots, knowing, uh, fill in those spaces in our lives when we grieve, and at the same time knowing that uh, the, that empty spaces are filled with promise, the promise of Christ, the promise of resurrection, and especially during times like this where they lose their beloved pastor and uh, the Lord fills that space with things like the Psalms in order to move forward. Absolutely. Yep. So um, well, let's begin in prayer. Pastor Tice, can you begin us in prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty and gracious Lord, you have called us to call upon you. You invite us to praise you for the glory of your creation, the beauty of the world around us, and your great love for us. You give us these things as we plant flowers in the spring or begin tilling the soil again to raise crops for food. We are reminded that all life is your gift. As we join together in reflecting on this psalm today, help us to see that all of creation praises you, but that the greatest praise can come only from the gift of faith and the trust that you indeed hold all things safely in your hands. As you have provided for us this word of assurance and this opportunity to sing together, help us make a joyful noise to you in our hearts, in our words, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions as we study Psalm 150, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor Tice, as we look at the Psalms, as I mentioned, yesterday we were in Psalm 1, which is a unique Psalm. That's like a, a Dr. Celeste called that a wisdom Psalm. And today we go to Psalm 150, which is also defined as the Alleluia Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Okay, so that, that can be confusing. So if someone comes to you, Pastor, and says, what, what are the Psalms? How would you describe that to someone? I would, I would say that at one level they would be what we, you and I would call the songbook or the public worship um, liturgy elements for the people of God from the Old Testament, but it incorporates the whole spectrum of our interaction with the world around us and with God in that we see God's rescue and at the same time laments to God for the fact that enemies oppress us. And in the whole analysis, finally, the last five psalms here are, are all built around this phrase, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. And, and it's part of this recognition that the circumstances of our daily life always challenge us to ask the simple question, How is God present with us? And Mm. the Psalms constantly give us an answer, both for the the good times and the sad times, for the times of prosperity and the times of adversity. The Psalms are always focused on how God's interacting with his people so that we can always find in the Psalms a connection to how our spiritual life is going and God's call to us to call on him. And and, and what I heard yesterday 
from Dr. Selesko, too. I keep referencing him mainly because he started us off. I mean, he wrote the commentary no in the first you, 50. You keep referring to him. Yeah, yeah. And, and But we could say it this way. He wrote the first you know, first 50 Psalms, but he didn't get to 150 yet. So you're going to no. be our expert on 150. How about that? Um, no. But anyways, he spoke. It's the only time in Scripture where God gives us his words, and then we, in turn, say those words back. Um, and, and, and there are words too. I mean, and obviously all of scripture has that, but that's, an, it's very intentional in the Psalms. Yeah. We also had an emphasis on, we have to wait. We wait in this life until the second coming of Christ, the old Testament, um, we're waiting for the promise of the savior. So they were waiting, you know, you talk about going across the red sea and they're waiting mm-hmm. 40 years. And for us, we wait as well. Um, so in what ways, I want to ask you this too, because I want to, you know, as you've been in ministry a long time, what are ways that you've seen, uh, the church, uh, your people, yourself use the Psalms in a faithful way? Well, the, the, uh, ways that I've particularly experienced have been individuals who have in the midst of their individual challenges, their sufferings, their disappointments or frustrations, they, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and can't sleep because something in life has disrupted them. Could be a health issue, could be a relationship issue, but whatever it is, again and again people have told me that when they read the Psalms, they discover that that experience and those emotions have already been encountered, and God has provided a place to express that by speaking his words back to him and then letting him speak to us and Holy Spirit communicate to us that God's perfectly aware of these things. And as I've told people through the the years, when we pray, we never inform God of something he doesn't already know. So that when we sing the Psalms or read the Psalms, we're, again, not informing God of what he doesn't know. We are reminding ourselves that God already has an answer for what we're going through. And so the, the Psalms have been pointed out to me by various individuals that I've worked with, members of congregations, other pastors, as a resource to find an answer to today's challenge already addressed by the people of God in prior generations and responded to then with God's Holy Spirit's encouragement through word, song, psalms, spiritual songs, prayer and praise. And, and so I, I think that as, as Christians, we've perhaps, I should say this, we have in our modern era overlooked the Psalms as a spiritual resource to read out loud and let God talk to us, especially, as I said before, when a person wakes up in the middle of the night and can't sleep and they're troubled, get the Psalms out and read them out loud and let the Holy Spirit pump back into you what God's already said about what's in your heart. Oh, that's good. Pump back into you. I I coach track up here in Sartell in Minnesota, and uh, we just got done lifting the other day. So I'm going to use that. Pump back into you. I'm going to use that somehow in the weightlifting time. Anyways, all right, um, there you go. <laughs> and it's you know, and this is and this is very helpful too, because when we think about the Psalms, that there's times we don't know what to pray. Like, what do I pray for? How do I pray? And, and, and we talk a lot about, well, I'm going to pray for God to give me something. But here, it, it gives us words when we can't use our own words. It gives, us grie- it gives us words in our grief. It gives us words in our joy. And that's what we're going to have today. It gives us words then to speak because you, well, I know myself, 
that there's times I'm like, I'm just repeating myself. I'm not using anything new. And here, not only is it new words, but also it's the Holy Spirit that pumps back into us, as you said so well. Um, Any last thoughts on the Psalms before we dig in? Well, the the, uh, reference in the Psalms, of course, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The New Testament phrase, pray, praise, and give thanks. This is really what the Psalms are about. Well, let's start praising. Um, what it will start is I will read all of 150, and then you, if you want to talk about some introductory or background information about the psalm. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's start one, this was go through all six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven, heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, any background or thematic uh, highlights you want to highlight about the whole thing? Well, sure. As as we look at at Hebrew poetry, of course, and Dr. Seleska knows far more about this than I do, but you'll notice that this psalm has a bookend. Um, it begins with the phrase, Hallelujah, and it concludes with the, the phrase, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, and using God's personal name in that praise word. Um, you know, often we, we read through these psalms in English, and it happens in our liturgy, it happens in the, the reading of psalms during the church service, and it'll say, praise, let the name of the Lord be praised. And we don't actually praise the name of the Lord. We throw in an English substitute so that we don't say his name incorrectly. And so we end up kind of not even praising his name. We mm. praise the image, mm-hmm. but not his name. And, and so I think to use the Greek version, Alleluia, or the Hebrew, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, is actually a good thing to do because it retains the name of our personal name for God revealed to us in Scripture, even if we aren't sure exactly how to say it, mm. by using that non-translated hallelujah, we keep the name of God in there. So this is part of the part of the challenge for us, is to recognize that translation always gives us the possibility of losing it. But the bookends in this particular psalm, we're praising the Lord at the beginning and at the end, and then in between there are ten methods by which we're invited to do just that. And, and uh-huh. so we look at those hallelujahs in the middle, if you will, as part of our whole praising of, of the God who is the God who was and is and who is to come. I was reading a commentary about this psalm. Uh, Dr. Brug, who is a Wisconsin Synod uh, theologian, and one of the things he said about this is that this psalm shows us the where, why, with what, and who of praising the Lord which I thought was really um, very helpful as you look at it and broke it down into a number of those verses. Mm -hmm. So let's start with verse one and the where. I'll I'll read it again. And uh, the where do we praise the Lord? Obviously, like you said, the bookend, beginning and end, praise the Lord, alleluia, uh, Yahweh. Um, Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. So it tells us where should we um, uh, see now, uh, where should we praise the Lord? So what does he tell us? Well, we praise him in the place where he is 
if we use the word sanctuary there, translated that way, it's, it's uh, not a building per se. It is in the place where his holy presence is. Now, he causes it to dwell where he wants it to dwell. It's a thing that, you know, very beginning with Exodus, as he instructs Aaron, the priest, and, and Moses, he says, lead the people to a place where I will show you, and there my name is, and I'll put my name on them, and then when you dismiss them from the place where I've caused my name to dwell, dwell put my name on them again. So the <laughs> sanctuary is where his name is. And mm. as we praise him in the mighty firmament, or the heaven. The Lord is seated in the heavens. He rules. And so we have this image of a God who is over all things. And, and keeping that thought, then, that we praise him on earth in a physical structure that, as we human beings describe it, a church, or in the Old Testament, it was God's house. We called it the temple. God didn't dwell in a house made by hands. And yet he did allow himself to be contacted there, and he appeared there to his people. And Jesus walks into the temple cleans it out, says, this shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Mm. So clearly, mm -hmm. God does show up in a physical place, because we're physical human beings. He communicates in ways that connect to us. So his sanctuary is wherever he's caused his name to dwell, but particularly, we praise him as the one who rules on a throne in heaven. And that's interesting to think about when we come to church, that we're there to praise the Lord. One of my common statements, and I use it here on KFUO, is, you know, the gifts are ready. So come to receive the gifts. But then there's that prayer and praise. I mean, we have that in our hymnal, the prayer and praise uh, section of the hymnal, service of right. prayer and praise. And tell us about what that, what that, why this is an important aspect of the Christian life, that when we come to church into the, quote, sanctuary uh, here in the physical part of this earth, why is that important for us to praise the Lord in church? Well, it's, it's where God has promised to meet us, where his name is, where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus. God has promised to meet us there, and he promises to serve us. He, you know, his word is, is living and active. It's not a, it's not a static collection of words on a page, although certainly we have them recorded that way. His word is living and active. And you, you triggered in my mind the old German phrase, and we see it repeated now in the uh, Lutheran service book, Divine Service. Uh, the, the German phrase is Gottesdienst, mm -hmm. which means service of God. Now, here's the tricky question. Who's serving whom? See, in divine yeah. service, God is serving us. And yet at the same time, in response of praise and thanksgiving, we offer him ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is a form of service, uh, you know, a proper worship, as Paul calls it. So in, in the house of God, we publicly praise him. We stand with other people. We, we do it in a way that says we are openly committed to praising the God who's giving us these good gifts. And we've also come to where he's promised to give them to us, so we know we need them, we're where he says they can be found. So these things are all tied to the, the public worship aspect. You know, as, as North Americans, we have this high focus on individualism and, and rights and freedoms. But as the Christian church, we are actually called much more to focus on the fact that we are a collection of people united in Christ rather than individuals walking alone and coming together in God's house is another way of saying not only are we gathered, but we're praising God together as a group. So we're sharing the worship of God with one another. 
Well, and it says it so well in Hebrews, you know, uh, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, um, living sacrifices, he talks about in Romans 12. And, that, and that's just an interesting dynamic of us, because as Lutherans, in a, in a wonderful way, we want to make sure that there's no distinction of saying, you're coming here to give God everything, you know. Um, it, we're coming there and God is, is pouring his grace, as it says in uh um, that you know, Romans five is pour that God's love into our hearts. Right, that's what God is doing. But also, there's this a wonderful reminder that we need to we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord when we gather in worship. We praise the Lord when we sing the songs. We praise the Lord when we pray. All this is a mm-hmm. sacrifice of praise. Um, and why is that important? I mean, and this is why the psalm is so important for us. Why is it important for us to be reminded to praise the Lord? Well, he's always worthy of our praise, and we get so easily and readily distracted by daily activities and pursuits that that we begin to praise his creation rather than him. And there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in God's gift in creation, but, but the praise goes to the Creator. And by doing that, we are reminded that they are God's gifts for our use to God's glory. And and as Lutherans, you know, that, that focus on the glory of God is sometimes minimized, and, and the praising of, of Yahweh, this gives back to him the glory that he is due. And if we keep that thought in mind, that, that God already has the glory, we just need to reflect the fact that we perceive it. This gives him more glory, as dumb as that sounds. You know, you can't increase God's glory, but you can increase the awareness of God's glory among people. And by praising him, we do that. And so it says, praise him in his mighty heavens. How mm-hmm. would you distinguish that? In his sanctuary, mighty heavens, I know you touched on it, but I just want to pack that a little more because it can be confusing. Yeah, the, the sanctuary is the place where he is found and meets us and, and walks with us. And, and in our New Testament theology, then, we hear the, the apostles writing about we are the temple of God and, and individually members of Christ's body and at the same time built up into a living temple. So the, praise God in his sanctuary. Uh, we also praise him with our physical lives. So we do it not just in the building that he's in, but we also do it in our daily walk. Our vocation is part of our praise of, of the Lord. And, and doing this, again, in his holy place. Well, we are Christ's holy people now, and he's the head. Wherever the head is, the body is with him. So that this is part of the, the living worship, as you described it, sacrifice. This praise is, is our daily life. And the, the firmament in his mighty firmament, that's about God's power and God's divine authority and abilities that are not ours. And it keeps a clear distinction of the fact that he's God and we are not, and yet we are his people and are part of Christ, the head of the church. Which again, as Lutheran Christians, it's that, that paradox, a tension between we aren't, but we are. And, and praising the Lord is an important way of keeping that tension real for us. And how much would we be able to say, because you look at in Revelation, the people are there praising the Lord, palm branches, the Lamb of God is there, white robes. How much is this pointing us forward to the praising will happen, you know, after the resurrection? I mean, how much How much do you see that fitting here? Well, I think it, it's part of it. And, and if you go to the, the, of course, the next verse where we're talking about his mighty act, uh, right. The greatest act will be our, our restoration in the, in the final resurrection when Christ comes again. The new creation being completely restored and known to us. So it's, it's leading into that thought. Um, 
as you go to the next verse. I mean, flowing poetry in, in Hebrew, you kind of have to recognize that poetry in, in Hebrew has a balance between two parts or complementary phrases, so that what comes next almost always is built on what preceded it or what's coming after it. And, of course, I'm, I'm not an expert in Hebrew poetry, but I, I do know that much, that when you start reading Hebrew poetry, you got to do the, the context of what are the contrasting and comparing words that come after it, and, and also some of the sounds that are similar that in Hebrew provide meaning that in English we kind of lose sight of. So. Absolutely. So let's do that. Let's go to verse 2. We have just a few more minutes, but I want to get through verse 2 and talk about it before and after our break. Praise uh, Verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Well, what are, what are his mighty deeds and what is his excellent greatness? Well, the mighty deeds, of course, as we look at, at the Old Testament people of God, they're looking at him creating the world, establishing his relationship with man, and then calling Abraham and establishing this, this wonderful relationship with the people of Israel through the rescue in Egypt and the ten plagues, and then the ten words, and now the ten hallelujahs. You know, it's kind of a, uh, the completeness of his, of his mighty acts. Actually, his mighty deeds shows up in the fact that there are these ten praise hymns um, in this middle section of the locations, as you put it, the where's and the what's and the why's. This is, this is a focus back to God who is the doer of things completely. And he saved the world, rescued people through the, the ark, even though he destroyed the world, he saved it at the same time. The water that drowned the non-repentant floated the boat with the believers. So his mighty acts in rescue of salvation of his people spiritually, physically, down through their history, but also his mighty acts of sustaining and preserving the world, even though he's repeatedly punished humanity and creation for human sins, he still maintains that which has been damaged by the punishment. Mm. And his excellent greatness is the fact, partly, that of course he is God all by himself, but also that he has done these mighty acts of salvation in such a way that harm is brought to one group, rescue to another, and after the impact of the harm continues in the world, Tornadoes being a prime example of that, you know, drying the, the water up after the flood required him to move big winds across the earth. Well, those are still the earth's circulation uh, weather patterns is highly impacted by that event. And yet in his greatness, it allows us to bring rain out of the ocean and evaporation and, and cause the earth to continue to function in a climate cycle, which is still surviving and preserving us. So his greatness is also in that he can bring great good out of the consequence of our evil actions. Because we can easily get wound up in, wow, how powerful is God? And then we see this destruction that we have to remember also, especially in Scripture, that the excellent greatness points us to the mercy of God and all that he has done for us. So he has all this power, and obviously this goes back to the cross and the empty tomb, all this power and how does he choose to use it to show mercy upon his people. So right now we need to take our break, Pastor Tice. We are studying uh, and praying Psalm 150, and we'll be right back.
And welcome back. We are studying Psalm 150. Actually, I should say studying and praying Psalm 150 with Pastor Stephen Tice. I want to say this because Pastor Tice, who said it so well, that throughout your time in ministry, you've heard of people who maybe are struggling at night to sleep. And and one of the things that I that point in my heart to is hymn number 883, I'll praise to thee, my God, this night. And I think this relates in stanza five and it says, when in the night I sleepless lie, my soul with heavenly thoughts supply. Let no ill dreams disturb my rest, no powers of darkness me molest. And I think that really relates, and my encouragement to you, our listeners, is that when you have a hard time, because we live in an anxious time. There's an anxious time, whether you are really affected by COVID or other things, it's very anxious. And so a great um, um, direction that Pastor Tice has given us is, you know, uh, bring out a psalm. It can be Psalm 150. I know personally, when I say praise the Lord, my kind of adrenaline gets going a little bit. So I don't know if I should read Psalm 150 when I'm about ready to fall back asleep. But any of the psalms will point us back to our Lord and give us words to say that will give us peace. Um, any other thoughts on that, Pastor? I love how you gave that direction and, and how God's saints led you in that way. Well, the thing is, the Holy Spirit is at work in the Word of God. And mm-hmm. whatever is troubling us, the Holy Spirit is already working on solving in us, if I can say it that way. Yeah. The Lord Jesus has already addressed the problem in his death and resurrection. So the, the, the real challenge is to get the application of what's already given onto the problem, and the Word of God will do that. You and I can try to figure it out or work it out, but the Word of God does it. It's, it's powerful and active. So the purpose of that is to let the medicine of God's salvation work in us by letting the Word touch us. Pump his Holy Spirit into us. Isn't that how you said it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is. Well, let's keep moving. We have gone from the where and the why. We know where is in the sanctuary and really anywhere we are, praise the name. Why? Because of his mighty deeds, his excellent greatness. The Old Testament people knew that. The, 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 the mighty deeds God has done. We see it today and we obviously see it in Christ. Now the question is, with what? Um, this is a fascinating, I'm excited to see what, Pastor, you have to say on this, um, because it's a wide variety of things. So let's read verses 3 through 5. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. So he gives us a list here. Uh, of how we can, with what we should give praise to, uh, with, excuse me, praise to the Lord with. So what is he telling us? Well, he's talking about about all of our being and multiple tools, the the list of the, the instruments, the sound of the trumpet. Well, the trumpet was regularly used as an announcing of celebration or procession, God's people traveling together. Some hmm. congregations... Uh, make a particular point of using brass instruments for the celebration of church festival services. Easter is certainly one of those where a trumpet uh, accompaniment might be done with a hymn or a trumpet fanfare used at the beginning of the service. But trumpets, as an active tool, reverberate in a way that penetrates our not just our eardrums. It actually you know, penetrates the skin. We, we forget that the largest organ in the human body is skin, and that we have a sense of 
touch that is able to perceive vibrations from sound. And so the use of, of trumpets penetrates the body in ways that, you know, we don't often give credit to. The creator of the universe knows all these things about us, so, you know, but when you praise him with the trumpet, the trumpet also carries a sound a long distance. When you hear it, it immediately draws attention. Mm. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons horns are put on automobiles and, and are designed to sound like a brass instrument is so that it gets your attention, that you know something's happening. You know, why do we, why do we put a horn on a, on a car? It's not so that people can make nice melodies. It's to alert someone to the approach of this, of this vehicle for whatever purpose. Well, the, the purpose of the trumpet is to announce that you're doing something. So the sound of the trumpet announces to all that we're about to praise God in this particular way, and then we're going to praise him with the lute and the harp, stringed instruments, which have, you know, it's one of those marvelous things I learned years ago from somebody, can't remember who, but he pointed out to me that a goodly number of church musicians are also mathematicians, because music is a mathematical sequencing. If, If I use terms that I can't define, Pardon me for doing so, but I'm aware of yeah. them. There's something called yeah. a diminished seventh. Diminished? Okay, repeat that. Diminished seventh. Go, diminished okay, go ahead. seventh. It actually okay. means there's a sequencing within the, the sounds of, of music that we call a, a scale. A one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight tones in the scale. But if you listen mm-hmm. to music from other countries, they have quarter steps in the scale, which is why some music from um, India, for example, might sound a little different to a European ear or an American ear because we don't have those quarter steps in the, in the scale. But those sounds are all harmonic vibrations, and the function of a lute and a harp is to let the string vibrate and let the sounds continue. You begin it, but it resonates back. And so when we play these songs on a harp or a lute, we are letting the resonance of God's praise come back to us and go forward and come back again. And the string as weird as this sounds, the string vibrates itself, and the mm-hmm. vibration touches the other strings alongside of it, so that this, this harmonic quality reverberates in ways that we don't produce, God does, because he created the sequencing in music. But that happens with, with a stringed instrument uh, in a way that God has designed, that you and I can't make happen, but God already did. And so by so, using so- those particular instruments, we're letting God's glory come out of the song the sound that he allows to exist this is this is great you're, you're breaking this down in a wonderful way because usually when i read it i just read through and go well i guess we could use a trumpet okay we do that on easter okay lute and harp well i i i saw that at a hospice place once that was really cool but you're if i'm hearing you correctly and i think this is how i'm interpreting this is you have the trumpet and the trumpet gets attention Okay, so it's like boom, we are doing something special. Um, this is this is a, a big moment. This is why you have a bugle waking up the military people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why you have on Easter morning one of the big things people remember is that you start singing Jesus Christ is risen today and the trumpets are playing up top and mm-hmm. at least in our church, I should say. And yeah. and people that resonates in your memory and makes you Absolutely. realize that's different than when we're playing other hymns at different times um and that's and that's an important so you get your attention then you have the lute and harp like i mentioned i was at a wonderful uh hospice place here it has roman catholic roots and it's a wonderful faith-based place that 
um, that they have a, a one a lady that comes once a week and just plays and plays the harp. And, and it's an amazing thing. She comes out there and plays the harp and, and kind of just, she'll talk to the people who are there in hospice and talk about how, you know, what do you think when you hear these words, but as hear the, the sounds and, and one of the things, what I'm hearing you say, which kind of jumps out at me is that you play those strings and those strings don't really stop. You know, once you, once you stop blowing into the trumpet, it stops, it's over. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you pull those strings, those strings continue and, and with the lute and harp, they, they allow it to keep going, showing us that this praise is not over the moment our lips are done, but also it continues on beyond that moment. That's what I'm hearing. I don't, is yep. that, is that yeah. fit at all? That's, yeah, that's a big part of it. And you know, the other thing is if you're singing in particular, Psalm yeah. 98 talks about mm-hmm. singing to uh, Yahweh with the harp, the harp and the voice of a psalm. To understand that, that there is a voice in music and this voice is tied to instruments. I was talking with my granddaughter um, oh, what day was that? Tuesday. Uh, she she plays the flute, and, and she was talking about the contra, contra bass flute. And I said, what? And she said, that's a huge thing. So we looked it up. Massive, massive instrument. Not at all like mm-hmm. the other flute. But when it comes to harps, you only get so big with those things because you run out of space to, to stretch the strings. But you can make them small enough for people to carry. And so when you're singing in harmony, and you may sing in parts, a harp allows that to happen. Piano, harpsichord, reproduces that same quality, which is one of the reasons many vocalists are accompanied by a piano when they sing, because the harmonics of the string allows people to pick up the depth of the quality of the voice. And so if we we think about singing with the voice of a psalm, that harp or lute, that in particular, the lyre, that allows us to sing together in harmonic melodies that allow us to blend our voices and give even richer praise to God. And this is like you mentioned, Psalm 98, sing praise Psalm 98 verses four through six uh, are very much so connected to what we're talking about today is sing praises to the Lord with lyre, uh, with a lyre and with a lyre and the sound of melody that this is not like, okay, now you play trumpet. Okay. Now you play this, but they can work together for the sake of obviously glorifying God. And, and then I, I, my, my mom, my mom's an organist and, uh-huh. and my kids have all gone through piano lessons. I went through piano lessons. And one of the things that we often will miss is the beauty that comes from this and how we give glory to God while you do this. Um, that, that it's just by the nature of it. And especially when you're singing, playing the hymns or other types of, uh, of music that, that this is just a, it comes together. There's beautiful unity praising our Lord as we just hear it or when you play it. It's an amazing thing to think about that God has given that person this ability. Didn't give me much of that ability. Um, but gave these people. And this is why a reminder for me, um, to give thanks for my organist, my musicians. And give Absolutely. thanks that they're using this for the sake of God's glory. Any other thoughts? Well, this is this is the the whole purpose of the instruments is is to allow the group to be part of the celebration. Because if you think about it, you just mentioned it. We remember our organists and and as pastors, you know, regularly I share with them this agreement. I'll try to cover up whenever they do something I didn't plan on. If they'll cover up when I mess up for them, you know, the Lord gets the glory for what we do. But right. in the process, it is, it is a group event. You cannot have three people singing and, and one playing a trumpet 
and you know you can't sing and play the trumpet at the same time. But as right. it talks about stringed instruments, you can have a group doing that together, and everyone supports one another. It's again getting back to this fact that we do this together as the people of God. We don't do it alone. And this is a reminder for you, our listeners, that you have musicians at your congregation, and some of them have been doing it forever. For example, I have two ladies in my church who have been doing this since the beginning of our church, which is 1980. So you do the math, 41 years they've been playing and never ever heard them complain, never ever heard them um, get all riled up about anything. They just, they do their thing that if you ask them, they say, we're doing this to praise the Lord and very humbled by their work. And so reminder to our listeners, um, give thanks for your organist, give thanks for your musician, um, whatever music that they play, even if you don't necessarily like how they play, because they're giving themselves and they're giving praise to our Lord. It doesn't say make perfect music, but it says praise the Lord with these instruments. That's just a reminder for our listeners today. Let's move on to the next verse, Pastor. Um, This one gets interesting for me, um, and I want to talk a little bit more about that when I read verse 4. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. So, the tambourine. Tell me about the tambourine. Did you look at anything for that? I didn't really look anything up, but but another translation is the word timbrel, uh, which is mm. a an instrument that that has metal pieces that will hit against each other, and the the metal shape of the metal will determine the sound that comes out of it and the quality of, of metal. You know, you can get one sound out of brass, another sound out of silver, a different sound out of tin, so that even within those varieties of of instrumentation you have the the blessing of God's multiple gifts. And mm. this, uh, you know, you're talking about organists and musicians, and you know, my wife has been giving piano lessons to our granddaughter, uh, granddaughters actually, and, and trying to help them understand, uh, you know, how music works and what it is. One person can have percussion abilities that require a timing element that mm. if you don't have that timing element, the percussion won't work well. But the timbrel also allows you to move about with one handheld instrument in a way that you can't do with certain other instruments. And, and if, you're, if you're thinking about it, you can move a timbrel or the tambourine type thing with the one hand in the air, and the other hand can be used to do something else. If you're playing a harp or a lute, it requires two hands. Um, so this, this is also another aspect of, it's going to sound really weird, but if you have someone who's lost a hand in combat or has been born with, with a damaged limb, they can still use the timbrel, even if they can't use a lute or a trumpet. That's so, interesting. You know, it allows for all the people of God together, including those who can't yet sing or talk, they can still make that noise, give a little child a noisemaker that they clatter back and forth with. They'll do it right away. So oh, see, we have age inclusion in the gifts that God gives in these musical instruments. Oh my goodness, that is a good point. And I like how you how you brought that into this. I remember when I was a field worker in North St. Louis, Bethlehem Lutheran Church, which I've mentioned here in the program before, that they had a just a wonderful choir and they would start singing. And there was one particular gal, Miss Kathy, that she would, in the middle of a song, just decide, you know what, this one needs a tambourine. So she'd go and grab the tambourine and somehow, I don't know how she did it because I can never figure it out. She just figured out how the beat went. And so you had this wonderful, like you said, you can use that um, even if you're missing other <laughs> other parts of your body and so forth. And at the same time, 
in that particular church, you had tons of kids who loved to sing. And then you had older ladies that loved to sing. Even men liked to sing in that congregation. And they would all come together and do these things. So you're right. Not only does this praising involve certain age groups, which we do in every part of our society, but everyone can have a place in this musical praising, um, no matter what age you are. That's a wonderful insight. Any other thoughts on that? Well, just the, the fact that it's, it's also the idea of, of movement, that we use mm-hmm. our whole body when we do this. Um, if you are a musician, you, you keep time one way or another. And I've seen some people do it with tapping a foot. Others do it with you know, their head. It's just music, when it touches the interior part of God's creation, will make the body move. And that's part of God's creating work, not my personal choice. It just mm. happens because that's how God's designed us. We respond to the tonal qualities of music. And Luther pointed out that you know, next to the Word of God, he found music to be the most efficient way to bring people to recall in memory uh, what God has said and done. And, and so we, we see this also in the, the psalm here, that music is part of building a praise process that can then be continued you know, as a child, I memorized portions of the liturgy out of the Lutheran hymnal. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was memorizing them. I just memorized them. Right. But music builds that memory process. So if you use more than one instrument, there are some children and adults who will cling tightly to that instrument's teaching ability and others to another one. So, you again, we have multiple learning theory going on here. So, you know, this whole understanding that the creation is designed by the one who knows how it works, so he gives us ways to include each person in the praise that he wants. So let's move on to the next part, where it says dance. Now, what comes to mind for people my generation, or maybe a little bit older than me, this brings us back to the movie Footloose, where Kevin Bacon stands, there's no dancing in this town for Kevin Bacon, and and, and he wants to dance, evidently, and and he goes before the city council, uh, the, the pastor of the community is there, and then he says, we do this to celebrate, and then he quotes, not Psalm 150, but Psalm 149, and says, people who used to dance to praise the Lord, and it's one of those for some reason, that part of the movie stuck in my mind. And now we think about what does this mean um, for us as Christians? Because personally, I don't want to dance ever. So what does what does it mean by dancing here, Pastor? I'd love to hear your insights. Well, we're, we're dealing with the idea of, of a public display of people rejoicing and, and praising God. And part of this is what I talked about before, that, that the human body responds to music with the need to follow the pattern of, of the rhythm or the tones. And when this happens, um, the, the human body then is, is used by God's created purpose for movement. We, mm. In fact, mm-hmm. when we move, we also then learn things. Uh, somewhere years ago, I had an instructor in, in school in a physical education class who said, we're going to teach you to juggle. Mm-hmm. He said, now, we'll do this three ways. One group, we're just going to give you balls and say, start juggling. Another group, we're going to teach you various steps in the juggling process and then let you put them all together. And then the third group, he said, we're going to show you how it's done, observing someone else juggle first, and then we're going to let you practice the various steps. And, you know, what we obviously discovered, as dumb as it sounds, is that by learning the parts separately and putting them together, 
you could do a better job. Well, we call that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. If you involve the body in movement to praise God, this also creates a muscle memory. So that when you're out in the field walking and you're with your family walking by the road, you know, teach them to your children when you get up in the morning, when you lie down, when you walk, on, walk along the road. If you've got little children and you can teach them a couple of simple steps that you and I would call dance, repetitive movements, and tie that to the Word of God, you've now created a way for God's Word to be associated with that physical movement. You know, Psalm 149 says, praise, praise them from your beds. Okay. Ah, so, man. you know, what does this mean? It means when you're lying down and you're going to sleep and you make a certain motion in your bed, you can praise God. You know, there's all kinds of ways in which part of the, part of the ongoing challenge is the recognition that the human body is not evil. Human mind makes things in the body evil and uses them for evil, but the body is not evil. Right. The body's corrupted by sin, yes. But it's not the body that causes you to sin. It's, it's the spirit, the mind. And so incorporating dance as a movement of the body is not inherently wrong. It can be misused in any way, shape, or form. But to intentionally use it for the right purpose is to train the body for good. And so dance allows that to be done in a way that, again, in a culture unlike North American culture has a great deal of influence carried over from some European factors. But now with immigration from other countries, we see other factors. The one, two that come to my mind, one would be the, the Chinese celebration of Chinese New Year in the dragon uh, parade where you've got people carrying this big dragon over their heads and, and dancing. And the other yep. one is Mardi Gras. Yep. Now, what is that? It's a big parade. What are the people doing? Well, they're dancing. Okay. Some of that, I think, is, is definitively inappropriate dancing. But sure. it's culturally tied to the idea that you celebrate with the body. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. This, this, is, this, is, this is very helpful. I still don't want to dance. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> But it and and my wife wishes I would, but I don't. Um, so it's it's a one you you put it in a way that's really helpful is to that we can celebrate and praise the Lord with our bodies, and it doesn't have to be public, you know. But you look at um all these different places and all these different times where we realize our bodies are a gift of God. We're not Gnostics. We are ones who believe in the body is something that is given to us as a gift. And now how can we use this to glorify God? And that can include dancing. I want to, I want to keep moving on because we have about five minutes left. Okay. Um, we, it gets to uh, get pass a dance strings and pipe. And I want to get to s- sounding symbols and loud clashing symbols. What do you have yeah. from that? Well, what you're dealing with here is, is the idea that the, the music is coming out. The joy is, is praising God. And if you think about instruments that can be tuned, uh, you know, my wife uh, has been involved for a good number of years with handbells, not the past couple mm-hmm. of years, but uh, mm-hmm. she helped our congregation to get a handbell choir going. And in that process, came to realize that handbells have to be properly tuned. They have to be properly handled. Every once in a while, you have to get them adjusted not because the bell goes out of tune, but because the handle gets loose, and then the ringing process becomes a clanging sound. And, mm-hmm. and so you can have the clanging sound, and it's not a problem. The clashing cymbals are designed to actually be a, a resonance that almost is harsh. And it reminds me of a song that I 
was part of a choir in college, and we sang a song that was written by a, a composer named Hugo Dissler. And, and it particularly is a dissonant kind of song. It's meant to jar you out of your normal sense of how things are, and it's about the Lord being betrayed. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And this, mm-hmm. this piece of music by Hugo Dissler actually takes that concept of the dissonance of what Jesus was doing for the disciples. He takes the Passover bread and he says, this is my body. He takes the Passover cup, the cup of blessing, the third one after supper, and says, this cup of blessing, this is my blood of the New Testament. The Old Covenant, the people were sprinkled with the blood. The New Covenant, the people take the blood in. And, mm-hmm. and so there is life in the blood. Okay, so the clashing symbols are another way of saying, wait a minute, this is God's stuff. It doesn't have to always match your expectation for it to be pleasing to God. And this is a real challenge for us because we're built around the idea of doing things decently and in order. Yeah. Biblically instructed. And so what do you do when you have dissonant sounds in, in church music? Occasionally my, my response as a person who's been in choirs and you know, over the years worshipped through the liturgical processes we have is to go, ooh, that didn't sound right. But you know, every once in a while, it not sounding right is a good reminder that that's how I sound to God sometimes. And he brings harmony out of my disharmony. He brings worship and praise out of my failures by forgiveness and redemption and by lifting me back up again. So the symbols are a loud and clashing noise and the joyful noise we make to the Lord. It doesn't all have to sound great to be praise. Right. It's not about excellence. It's about worship. So keep playing your instruments, keep singing with joy, even if it's not quite in tune. The last verse says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We have about a minute left here, Pastor. How would that bring everything together in this great psalm? That would be all the living things on earth. And and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess is, is human beings. But all of creation praises God, and all of creation is groaning, waiting for the revelation to be revealed, the restoration, when Christ comes at the end of the age. Let all that has breath praise Yahweh. The birds singing, the animals that bark or moo or whatever they might do, they praise God too. We miss that because we think it's a spiritual activity only, but it's a created response to the Creator, and everything with breath does that. And so we're we're in a world that's designed to give God praise and glory. And when Christ comes again and makes all things new at the end of the age, all of creation will do it. So looking at this psalm, Pastor, how would you, how would you sum it up? A few words, a sentence, what would you say? I'd say this is a, a, a psalm that calls us to joyfully express thanks to the God who is the giver of all good gifts, knowing that even when we have dissonance in Christ Jesus, God brings harmony. Pastor Stephen Tice, Vacancy Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church, New Wells, Missouri, helping us to praise the Lord this morning. Pastor Tice, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, sir. God's blessings with you. Saints of our Lord, let us sing some hallelujahs. Let us praise our Lord with all these different instruments, whether it's a trumpet or loop or harp or tambourine or even dancing. Who knows all this will go sounding cymbals or clashing cymbals. All of this we do because our Lord has given us everything through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.